Lots of channels, nothing to watch, especially if you're searching for the truth. It's time to interrupt your regularly scheduled programs with something actually worth watching. Salem News Channel, straightforward, unfiltered, with in-depth insight and analysis from the greatest collection of conservative minds like Hugh Hewitt, Mike Gallagher, Sebastian Gorka, and more. Find truth. Watch 24-7 on SNC.TV and on Local Now, Channel 525. Looking for truth from God's Word that you can understand and apply to your life? You'll find it today on Make It Clear with Dr. Stan Pons. Listen now as Stan makes it clear. We need to recognize what would be the true apostles and how would they be identified. So let me explain that. You had the 12 foundation apostles. We mentioned that one was now removed. That would be Judas. And they, according to our passage today, they then selected the 12th apostle. Then later on, you had the apostle Paul. So he could be the 13th apostle. There is some debate over that only because sometimes they put the 12th and the 13th together as one just like they did the 12 tribes. If you remember, you have the 12 tribes, one tribe split into two. And so you have 13 tribes kind of, but they're still mentioned as 12 because of it coming from Joseph. So we got it all kind of in there together. I would like to call the Apostle Paul the 13th Apostle. Now listen carefully. You have what we'll call foundational apostles. I will identify them as apostles of Christ. That's a term we'll look at in a moment. Then from them, you then have another group of apostles called apostles of the church. I'll identify some of them in a moment. Then from that, we then will see what we'll call false apostles. One question I hope to answer today would be, is the same office of apostleship that is found in Scripture the same office of apostleship that exists today? In other words, do we have apostles today exactly like we had apostles during the time of Christ? And I'm going to say now, I don't believe that we do at all. And I'll try to share that with you from Scripture. And then tell you who is here today that God might be able to help you in a special way if you're open to Him to learn truth. Well, with that in mind, let's go back, if you will, to Acts chapter 1. And just kind of quickly have a little review here. Now, while you're turning to Acts chapter 1... I want to now speak for a moment on why I think it's important for us to have this study. It wouldn't surprise me if some of you that are maybe even listening on the radio, you've heard this day after day after day, when am I going to get off this whole thing on apostleship? Well, there are a lot of reasons why I want to speak on it. One of the reasons is because the apostles that are biblical apostles have been chosen of the Lord. And you'll hear me say that over and over again. They were handpicked of the Lord. Number two, we find that they were the first group of people that the Lord would build his church with. And so they were kind of like the the head honchos of our church. They're like the heroes of the founding of the church. Not so much of international, although we're a, a very small part of the bigger body of Christ that's been here since the time of Christ, so to speak. Number three, we also want to do it because the Apostle Paul and Peter, along with a few others, directly or indirectly, were used of the Lord to plant churches, starting in Jerusalem and then moving out from Jerusalem with others as well. So not only do we have the universal church that was planted and edified, you had local bodies that were also done the same way. And then you have that these 12 apostles were identified in Scripture, so specially that they would be given 12 thrones upon which to rule during the millennial kingdom, which means that there's 12. That's another argument for why there are not apostles today, because 
because there's only 12 thrones and these would be the 12 that would be on that. But I think another reason would be because Scripture says all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for such things as teaching, reproof, correction, training, and righteousness that you and I would be thoroughly equipped to do all good deeds. So as a pastor, my responsibility is to teach you God's word. And I want you to really learn about the apostleship. Now, I want to teach you all of God's word, but sometimes I need to park down a little bit longer on certain truths because we live in a day where there is so much misinformation and incorrect teaching that is being thrown at us through so many mediums that I want you to really have this truth. And especially for those of you, this is very important here, those of you that might be leaving our church Now, what I mean by that would be, I think of our military personnel, I think of those who have come on island because of business or jobs, and then later on they're transferred out. I think of our college kids that are high school now but are going to be bound for the mainland. So those three scenarios alone would tell us why I need to teach on this and need to teach it accurately and deeply so that you would know it. Now, why would that be the case? Well, I would like very much to believe that the doctrine that we're teaching you here is as accurate as, as I possibly know how it to be. And as you give me points to maybe clarify some things, we will not deviate from truth and tr- sound doctrine. But I can tell you that when you do leave this church and you begin to explore other churches, I can't speak for you specifically, but generally people will begin to look for a church. They often look for a church based on how close is it for where I live. Secondly, they look for a church that how much is their wonderful service, the kind that's filled with a lot of joy and excitement and the music that they have. So they usually do it on the style and they use the word fit. Some of them that have children, they'll inspect the nursery to make sure that it's clean and it's a safe and secure place for their kids. If they have teenagers, they want to make sure is it a real rocking and a great youth program for them and then maybe the convenience of getting into the building if they're older and there are a lot of reasons and they'll use those reasons that sound so good often to trump the most important reason which would be sound doctrine now I will also say that doesn't mean that every church that has all those things in play is a church that's not going to have sound doctrine what I'm saying is that we need to make sure that doctrine trumps everything else I will tell you that there are some very wonderful, doctrinally sound churches, unfortunately, are as dead as a doornail. They have what I call dead orthodoxy. It's right truth, but they either don't live it, they just want to know it, and they use it to argue, they take the truth, and they use it as a weapon, or they use it as a toy, but they will not use it as a tool to build up the body of Christ properly. So you have to watch out, so make sure that doctrine is important while you're checking out the others as well and how important that that is. So if you go off somewhere, check their doctrinal statement. Go deeply into it. Watch this. Make sure that what you hear from the pulpit also agrees with their doctrinal statement. Make sure that when they teach a connection group that they're teaching according to the doctrinal statement. When they bring in speakers or DVDs that it is true to the doctrinal statement and that you understand what that doctrinal statement is. And if you have questions over it, you want to see its accuracy, there are a number of things that you can do and one of them might just simply be, why don't you just give us a call and we'll try to help guide you through that until you can do your own research. Not saying we're the end all and we're going to be the um, inspector of everybody's doctrinal statement, but we do want to help you. Are you with me so far? All right, that's why we need to study this because it's so important for us to know this. Now, Back to the passage of Acts chapter 1 that I've read to you. In this passage, you're going to see one more time what I believe four 
criteria for someone to become an apostle. These were the four criteria in order for them to be what I'll call the foundational or the apostle of Jesus Christ. Look at it again in verse 21. You might have marked it from before. It says, Therefore it is necessary that of the men who have accompanied us all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning with the baptism of John until the day that he was taken up from us, one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. So first of all, the first part of that talks about the time that they had to be with Christ. From the time of his baptism until the time of his resurrection. They had to be alive when Jesus was alive and be absorbed in his earthly ministry entirely. Secondly, if you look at the uh, end of verse 22, it says, And witness with us of his resurrection. Now, not so much that they had to be there to see him pop out of the grave, so to speak, but they had to witness a Christ who died dead, 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 but rose again from the dead. So that he had, they had to witness the resurrection of Christ, the resurrected Christ to be a part of that, which is essential. Go a little bit further. And it says, And they prayed and said, You, Lord, you know the hearts of all men. Show us which one that you would have. And I believe that it would have to be a person that has his heart truly turned toward the Lord. And out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So if I could read a little bit into that, that means you'll hear them by what they say and how accurate they are by coming from a heart that is not only knowledgeable but also lives what they believe. But now, the fourth one is really important, and that is that they are chosen. They have to be chosen, hand-selected of the Lord. So it's not someone saying, I believe that I should be an apostle, or someone else told me that I should be an apostle, or someone laid their hands on me and said I should be an apostle. It has to be that the Lord himself has called them. Now, there's one other that's not in this passage, and I will speak to that a little bit later, and that is they had to also later on manifest signs of an apostle, which means they had to do special miracles at the same time. Now, why am I giving you this? This is real key, and I might be splitting a theological here, but I don't think I am. Remember how this passage says, so they prayed, then they cast lots. Matthias got it out of the two guys that were there, which means the two, any, any one of those could have been it. But the Lord guided them to have Matthias, and he was added to the 11, thus making 12. The question is, why wasn't Paul then later on, since he wrote most of the New Testament, although I think Luke wrote more words in it than Paul did. But anyway, why would it be that Paul wouldn't be it and he would be here? Paul would fit every one of the criteria that we've just studied except for one. Paul was not with the Lord observing and immersed in Jesus' ministry since his baptism until he died and was resurrected. Paul did not have that. He had all the others. So that's why I refer to him as the 13th apostle. Now, are there apostles since that time? We'll answer that in a moment. I just want you to hear this. There are other apostles in the New Testament days because if you recall, the whole book of Acts is really a transitional time. So we use the book of Acts to teach doctrine some people say, well, you don't use Acts to teach doctrine because it's too transitional and there's kinda, it kind of moves around a little bit and it changes a little bit. So don't teach the book of Acts as doctrine. I don't buy that because I believe all scripture is given by inspiration of God for doctrine. But you have to understand the doctrine says that it's a transitional mode and we have to understand it in its um, timeline. Here's a big word for you. It's called progressive revelation. Progressive revelation means that revelation is progressing. Now, it is not progressing any longer since the New Testament days, or more accurately, since the New Testament canon was closed. So we do not have progressive revelation. We might have maybe a little bit more um, understanding of Scripture as we grow in the Lord, but we're not going to get any new Scripture because it is now closed at this particular time. So that would make Paul an apostle, but not one of the foundational or the apostles, so to speak, that would be of the 12 that we're talking about. 
So now keep that in mind. And I'd like to go back now to some other scripture for you that might help you just a little bit understanding of where we are. Because some of the big question comes up would be, well, what happens to all these guys? Where do they go? What do we have apostles today? Are they not today? What qualifies them? What are their responsibilities? If you'll take out your sheet, I'd like to reduce the, the, all the things that the apostles did to what we will call, I think very accurately, the four main responsibilities. Remember again, these were the 12 guys that the Lord used upon which to build the church with him being the chief corner stone and we are launching from him now while you're getting your notes out you'll have all the verses there and you can check them and then check all the cross references in your margin if you'd like let me help you with this a little bit more many 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 years ago you could probably go camping anywhere in america where there would be a stream or a creek or something like that and if you're high up in those beautiful mountains you could kind of lean over like a bear or a dog or an animal and put your mouth right in the water and and drink up that water and you'd be okay But over the last maybe 30 or 40 years, they've realized that no matter how pure that water is, there are little microbes in there that could give you stomach and other issue problems on your hike. How many have heard of that? Would you raise your hand? All right. They sell now these special little water purifiers that are light enough that you can throw in your backpack and put it in the water and put it in your little water jug. You can drink that. Even though you can't see the microbes, you can begin to drink it because it's filtered that. I said that now to say this, that those foundational apostles, even though that they were weak and they had issues in their life because they're still depraved people, God still used them solidly and closed the canon with them. They were like, with Christ being the source of the stream of truth, they would be at the very front end of the stream of truth because they often wrote that truth. They weren't the only ones who wrote it. But there were those who did, and so they were at the front of it. But now, 2,000 years later, we see that some of this water is not as clean as it could be. And so our filter, to filter out all the bugs and the issues, it's going to cause us a lot worse problems than stomach problems. It's going to cause us spiritual problems, and spiritual problems then create behavioral problems and can create, and will create, I should say, eternal problems. So our filter is none other than, watch this, the written word... And then the living word, which would be Christ and the Holy Spirit as he takes this to us. So that's why we teach the Bible here a little bit more deeply. And I I want us to really know the word. This is key for us to do that. So this is our filter when we go out in the world and we hear things from other people. It's very important. So let's go over the four responsibilities. The first one is to lay the foundation of the New Testament church. I've already spoken to that, so I won't say much more about it. So when we get into the DNA of a healthy church, we have to go back to the fact that the Lord has equipped, trained, approved, and sent out. those that are going to be our foundational apostles number two they were eyewitnesses of the resurrected lord their responsibility was what they saw they then wrote what they saw about christ they wrote about him you'll find that in luke chapter one especially in acts chapter one you'll find it in first john chapter four all of these witnesses of christ and they are now recording and then they're displaying what they have so they had to receive declare and write god's word i love that they had to receive write and declare god's word That means they're at the very front end of this very pure stream. How many of you were here? This is going to kind of date some of us oldie moldies that have been around here. It was October 2005. We arrived in our parking lot, and it had a horrible rainstorm up on top of Polly. And when we got here, the entire parking lot was not a puddle. It was an actual swimming pool, completely full, and all the water was in here, and all the water went all on our first floor, and the water was still raging down this creek. How many were here then? Do you remember that? Do you remember how that some of us were trying to get the piano and the organ that we had at the time up here on the platform to keep them dry? And the big word was only one group on the island could take out that poison water, and we had to be very careful not to be in the water of the stream here because it would infect us. But again, at the top of that stream, 
It could be very clear. It picked up the junk as it came down to us. So these guys, they received from the Lord. They declared what the Lord had to say, what they saw, and then they would write it so that we would have it today. The Holy Spirit's responsibility then throughout time was to preserve it in its accuracy, which we have. Number three, their job was to spiritually build up the church. They were to spiritually build up the church. And who could ever argue with the fact that these guys spiritually built up the church? Now, it is true. We have three groups of of four apostles each, making the 12 at the early onset of this. And then we have the first four. is Peter, James, John, and Andrew. You hear a lot more about them than you do the next four, and you hardly hear anything about the last four. So we do know that some were more obscure than the others. But God used them all, and they all got equal rewards, which there's another story in that of how good God is. Some are going to be in the front of the battle. Some will be holding the stuff, but they're all being used of the Lord. And then number four, to live an exemplary life. They were referred to not as apostles. They were referred to as holy apostles. So not only did they know the word, know Christ, fit the qualifications, fulfill the responsibilities, but they had to live a separated life. They were made pure and holy by the Lord. They had to manifest that to others. So in other words, their life had to back up that which what they did and what they said. They had to have a separated life. Now, I hope you're starting to hear some things when you begin to take these responsibilities and you take all others who claim to be an apostle and you put that up against the backdrop of what the biblical responsibilities were. And the last one is they had to confirm the word of God by signs and wonders. They had to be able to do supernatural acts. And the purpose of that wasn't merely to do acts and heal people. The purpose of it was to confirm that they were now given by the Lord to speak the word to them as the word was being spoken and then written down for us to have today. So it was confirming the word of God by these signs and wonders. And yes, they did those signs and wonders. And what's the difference between a sign and a wonder and a miracle? A sign is something that was revealing a truth that was very special for us to see it. A wonder was like, oh, wow, this is so big. We don't understand it. And, of course, the miracle was done on the spot immediately and how beautiful that was. So now I want to get into some other material now and answer the question, do other apostles exist during the New Testament time? I believe they did exist. And let me give you a rattled off list here. And, again, if you're taking notes, here's what you want to write down. You had what were called apostles of Christ. These were the ones that fit the qualification of being chosen by Christ sovereignly. They're the ones that were given responsibilities of Christ. They saw the resurrection. They had also the ability to do signs and wonders, okay? And so those were the apostles of Christ. But now you have others that were called the apostles of the church. Now, that's what you want to write down, the apostles of the church. Now, while you're writing that, I need to review you again for those of you who are new. The word apostle, if it was to stand alone, an apostle is not a magical, mystical, powerful name or person or entity. The word apostle comes from the word apostolos, which means messenger, sent one, ambassador, or representative. Now, when you run it through scripture and through life, it would be not just anybody. It would have to be a person who is a, an ambassador, a representative, a sent one, a messenger. They would have to be someone who was sent with the proper credentials to represent another. That would be the apostles. Now, you have the 12 apostles that we've just described what they were. You have the apostle Paul who did all of that except he didn't witness the whole life of Christ, but he did satisfy the other works of an apostle. He called himself an apostle. It is recorded in Scripture. There is no rebuke from that. And Paul lived most of his life having to defend his apostolicity. Is that a big word? All right. Apostolicity because he was an apostle. So God granted the fact that he was one. He just wasn't one of the 12. But there were others that were, here we are, messengers of the church. 
Now, folks, this is where I think we have most of our problems today is because we see the messengers of the church then, but now these messengers did not all fit that qualification, so they weren't a part of that apostolicity group, that apostleship group, and they would be just sent. Some of those people would be the following. These are names that you've often heard if you followed the, the book of Acts at all. You'd hear Barnabas. He was sent one as a messenger from the church to another church. You'd have Silas's being one. You'd have others that are found in Romans chapter 16, verse 7, and then Philippians chapter 2, verse 25. There are others that are referred to essentially as messengers of the church. Now, once you have those two concepts down, messengers of Christ were handpicked by Christ to represent Christ, to receive, declare, and write down his truth as they were foundational apostles to build the church. And then you have the messengers that received the message from these 12 to be able to now start the New Testament church. So they started with these guys and the new church began to fan out with those apostles. That's why you will find when they talk about gifts of the spirit and then gifts to the church, some of the gifts to the church are gifted people, but the gifts to the church are apostles, prophets, teachers, pastor, teachers, evangelists, etc. That's not a gift of apostleship. I personally don't think there's a gift of evangelism, but that's another subject. All right. But I do believe that there are gifts to all Christians, and these men had gifts, but the gift to the church was their position that God had called them to have. So we do see that that did exist in time. So now my question is, do other apostles continue after New Testament times? And this is what I want to end my message on today. First of all, I'd like you to turn in your Bibles now, if you will, to the book of Acts, you, or to the book, yeah, book of Acts, but Acts chapter 20, and you can leave chapter 1 now. We're finished with that. We'll pick up chapter 2 when we get into the whole issue of the Spirit coming and the flames of fire and all of that next week. All right, but I'd like you to turn, if you will, to Acts chapter 20. <clears throat> Acts chapter 20. The New Testament church is now already launched. The Apostle Paul, of course, is aware that there are false apostles out there. He also now is speaking to a group of spiritual leaders of the church called elders at the church of Ephesus. I believe one of those would be Timothy, who later on he even hammered with more important truth regarding false teachers later on in his two letters to, to Timothy. But right now in Acts chapter 20, pick up, if you will, just for a moment, verse 27. We're just going to look at 27 through 29. He's outside of Ephesus. He's got the elders around them. He's kind of reviewing his ministry. And he says this in verse 27. For I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole purpose or counsel of God. Let's stop for a moment. The reason it's past tense is because he's reviewing what he'd already done. He'd already taught them for a long time in Ephesus. Now verse 28, he said, Be on your guard for yourselves and for all the flock among whom the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he, Christ, purchased with his own blood. So he says, all right, you watch out for yourselves. You want to put a number one in front of that. Take care of yourself first, and then take care of the church of God. This is important now. You can't take care of the church of God unless you take care of yourself first. Now, in the context, it's going to talk about false teaching. But I think you can make a broader application that he needs to take care of himself spiritually as well as doctrinally as you're going to take care of the church of God. But to do that, you need to do both. Keep one eye on yourself, one eye on them. Verse 29, he says, I know that after my departure, then and now when he leaves them, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Now, he's not talking about real wild animals. He's using a metaphor here because the church is referred to as a flock. The enemies of the church were often referred to as dogs or wild savages, wild animals. And he's using that to let them know that this is how quickly they can come in. It's a very important term because when you lived in those days, you could see what wild dogs can really do to you when they come at you. 
They could see the damage because there was wild dogs all over the place. And if your kids or young ones or pets or little lambs weren't taken care of, they'd be gone just like that. So he's now saying, I'm telling you that this is the problem that's going to happen, so be careful. Verse 30, he says, I know that after my departure, will come in among you. That means from the outside, they'll come into your flock. Verse 30, and from among you, your own selves, men will rise speaking perverse things. So you're going to have people already in your midst that will be speaking perverse things. Why do they do that? To draw away the disciples after them. Now, in other contexts, it talks about another reason they do it is because of money and greed and power. In this section, it just talks about to have followers. Verse 31. Therefore, be on the alert, remembering, well, watch this, night and day for a period of three years when he was with them, I did not cease to admonish each one of you all with tears. Now, you need to mark that. So, I, I am nowhere near the Apostle Paul. I, I, I'm like a little, little spark to the, to the sun, to him. But my responsibility is to warn you and to warn your kids. And especially because our church is a transient church in the sense we have people, military people, coming and going at times. I want to make sure that you don't have good truth and all of a sudden you let your guard down and you forget that it's going to come from the outside and from the inside where there could be false teaching. In fact, he did this three years, night and day with tears. Now, why would he do that? Why did he give three points in a poem? Why didn't he have a lot of song and dance? Why didn't he have how to get out of debt? Why didn't he have all this other stuff? Because he knew that as he's giving the truth, all the work, all the effort to help that person become spiritual and walk with the Lord could easily be taken away by someone permitted to give false doctrine to those folks and to beware of it and how easy it is. And dear ones, <clears throat> when I work with, with youth, we were um, part of our youth teaching to them, besides all the doctrinal stuff, is I would warn them about the insidiousness of taking drugs. And we would just call it chemical dependency. So it could be drugs... We were in Texas. It was chewing tobacco. I know that sounds funny, but the kids are really big into that. You know, you go into other things, anything that would take their minds and mess it up. You're listening to Make It Clear with the teaching of Dr. Stan Pons, founder of Make It Clear Ministries. Make It Clear is dedicated to taking the Word of God with clarity into every person's world. It is the support of listeners like you who make the ministry of Make It Clear possible. You can provide your tax-deductible gift to Make It Clear online by going to makeitclear.org. Or you can mail your gift to Make It Clear, P.O. Box 607-901, Orlando, Florida, 32860. Thank you for helping us make it clear. If you would like to have Dr. Pond speak at your church or event, please send us an email at tellmemore at makeitclear.org. Thank you, and remember to make it clear. Thank you.